Hate Speech and Platform Regulation, a workshop series by the ITM Münster. Today, Elder Brogi and Konrad Bleier-Simon on more obligations and accountability for online platforms. Today we are going to present somehow the project we are involved in and uh, the challenges and uh, somehow the, the developments, uh, uh, the, the, the work we are doing and we have done so far in order to um, produce some results based on this uh, project. Um, actually, the project I'm talking about is uh, Edmo. So uh, maybe, Conrad, uh, you can go uh, to the second slide already. Uh, as the Center for Media Pluralism and Media Freedom uh, we are working in is uh, involved now also in this uh, uh, project uh, that is the European Digital Media Observatory that is uh, um, led by the European University Institute with the cooperation of uh, other universities fact checkers uh, and um, online uh, companies in order to, uh, to develop somehow some research and uh, some kind of uh, uh, actions that are needed in order to, um, uh, the, the project says, put together all the relevant stakeholders that are dealing, in this case, with the disinformation phenomenon. Uh, we are focusing on disinformation and uh, uh, to um, create somehow a platform for discussion at European level involving all the relevant stakeholders um, in, in this discussion and in order also to create the conditions to also develop uh, uh, some uh, uh, measures to uh, fight uh, disinformation to some extent. So within this project, uh, as, uh, as the Center for Media Pluralism and Media Freedom at DUI, uh, we are asked to deal with the policy research and analysis. And in order to do so, we uh, do some analysis in order to define the trends uh, when it comes to the disinformation phenomenon, mostly from a policy perspective, uh, report to the European Commission on the trends on the disinformation phenomenon. We try to cooperate with other European observatories in order to, um, uh, to, to share uh, best practices and uh, information on disinformation. <laughs> and, uh, but I mean, what we are talking, uh, we want to talk uh, you about today is uh, uh, this task that we have because we have to find a methodology to assess the code of practice on this information. We have to suggest uh, to uh, research on this uh, methodology to assess the code of practice. Can you go to the next slide, please? Uh, so, what is the code of practice on disinformation? Um, it's a self-regulatory instrument uh, signed by the representatives of online platforms, leading social networks, advertisers, advertising industry, that committed to put in place actions to limit the spread of disinformation 
harmful content and uh, to do it this within the current legal framework, including uh, the directive on e-commerce and the uh, rules on liability of intermediaries therein. Uh, the commitments are built, the commitments of the platforms, uh, um, since uh, here we are talking about uh, disinformation online, mostly uh, um, most of the uh, attention is uh, uh, devoted to uh, the, the, the behavior of online platforms, but uh, the, the code is structured in five pillars. Um, the scrutiny of ad placement that aims to demonetize purveyors of disinformation, um, political and issue-based advertising in order to uh, foster the transparency of political and issue-based advertising, integrity of services, limit inauthentic behaviors online, empowering consumers, and uh, uh, within the actions uh, to empower consumers, uh, there is also uh, the findability of uh, improving the findability of uh, trustworthy content and empowering the research community, uh, for instance, um, with access to data for facts checkers academia, access to data of the platforms. Uh, in order to allow research and uh, uh, better fact-checking. And uh, uh, recently, uh, the, um, the European Commission issued a new, guide, a new guidance in order to um, ask, uh, in order to, to guide the platforms for a new code that will be issued probably in uh, October uh, 2021, and that uh, is also expanding somehow the, the scope of uh, uh, potentially expanding the scope of uh, uh, the, the code itself to um, disinform, uh, sorry, to misinformation and uh, to um, and um, would like to open uh, to the um, uh, to other signatories, including uh, um, messaging apps. Um, but uh, what has been done so far? I mean, what was uh, the, the life of this uh, code of practice on this information? Maybe you can uh, add, uh, um, go to the next slide. Uh, the code has been drafted and signed in 2018, but since then, uh, even there has been an improvement uh, also with the experience on the reporting uh, on, uh, uh, the, let's say, infodemic on COVID-19, it has been hard to appreciate the effectiveness of its implementation, how the platforms performed in um, uh, putting in place in uh, trying to uh, comply with the commitments that uh, we mentioned before. Because uh, uh, there is no uh, uh, standard for its evaluation, no clear standard for its evaluation, for reporting, 
there is a lack of uh, oversight on the compliance, lack of sanctions for non-compliance, and lack of data against which to check the statements and the reports by the platforms themselves. So uh, this is a self-regulatory instrument and uh, relies a lot on the um, self-reporting of uh, the platforms with no specific uh, oversight. So what is our task within this project is to try to find a methodology um, to um, assess the impact of the code on, on this information, on the disinformation phenomenon. And in order to do so, uh, and probably you can uh, go to the next slide, uh, the um, uh, methodology uh, should be based on one hand on the so-called key performance indicators. They are mentioned in the code, in the reports of ERGA and of the Commission. The key performance indicators are uh, the, um, the, the benchmarks against which to assess uh, how uh, the uh, platforms and the signatories in general complied with the specific uh, commitments of, uh, of the code. So we call them also service level objectives, uh, uh, service level um, indicators uh, that are linked exactly to the objectives of uh, the code of practice. Um, so, on one hand, the, our methodology will be based on this, but, and this is where we are uh, focusing mostly our research, uh, we uh, want to um, uh, create a methodology, we want to conceive a methodology that focuses mostly on structural indicator that should allow the assessment of how the behavior of the signatories impacted the information system as a whole. So uh, we uh, aim to uh, define a, a methodology that is based on a normative approach that takes into account what, uh, how, I mean, the uh, principles, how, let's say, democracy, freedom of expression, uh, elections were impacted uh, by uh, the code itself, and uh, uh, also taking into account uh, economic um, and uh, sociopolitical aspects. So, um, and you can please, Conrad, uh, uh, go to the next slide. Uh, what we are aiming to is a, a normative uh, perspective, so macro level indicators uh, to be listed in order to define benchmarks against which we have to assess the, the code commitments uh, in order to see how they effectively impacted information pluralism and also to see whether uh, the implementation of the code uh, complied overall with uh, uh, the uh, rule of law, for instance, and uh, um, its assessment takes into account the specificities of 
uh, the, uh, the, the countries, uh, the specificities of uh, the national context where the code uh, um, was uh, somehow implemented. In order to do so, we uh, are uh, thinking of a methodology that, take, that is based on legal, economic, uh, political, social uh, indicators, uh, both quantitative and qualitative, and uh, that uh, hopefully will benefit of uh, the network that uh, this EDMO project is uh, creating in order to collect uh, data and uh, information, hopefully also by the platform themselves. I think that now uh, the floor, I pass the floor to uh, Conrad for some uh, more detailed examples. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Ed already mentioned what the requirements for these indicators are, so I'm not going to repeat it. But if you want to know more, we have organized two panels on the topic uh, on the so-called Edmo Week, which took place last week. I will share the YouTube links with those who are interested here in the chat later. Uh, just briefly, we have key performance indicators that evaluate uh, what the signatories have been doing under the five pillars. Here, the Commission has a relatively clear understanding of what it is looking for, and this is also mentioned in the current guidelines. I would only add that uh, we envision these indicators as a set of questions posed to the signatories that they have to answer themselves, and we want to that these questions have uh, to be phrased in a way that they give very limited or rather no opportunity for the platforms to misinterpret them because uh, this has been a problem in, in the past reports. And we also advocate for an independent audit of these answers. Um, so, these, uh, so, so, so here we have some examples. And I hope that the slide is not too packed with information, but uh, since the session is recorded, everyone will have the time to revisit them afterwards. So first we have the quantitative KPIs. Um, they look at the existence of definitions as the code specifically asks signatories to come up with a working definition on issue-based advertising. Then it asks platforms to list the measures taken and asks them to explain how their measures are consistent with the rule of law. And again, this is just a, a sample. These are not all the KPIs that we will ask. Um, the next slide is looking at the quantitative KPIs. So here we ask the, um, them for numbers. Um, numbers that are as exact as possible on the amount of political and issue-based advertising on their platforms, their share in revenues, and as much uh, data as possible on mislabeled, non-labeled, or reported accounts, as well as users' interaction with them. And I'm not sure if I mentioned, but anyway, I will just repeat it then. Uh, the, this, uh, these questions, the ones that we, uh, we, we mentioned uh, until now, they will be asked to the platforms themselves. Uh, and then they will be audited by an, another sec, uh, set of stakeholders. Um, then the second set of indicators are the structural indicators. They look at the impact of platforms' actions on the news diet of users. This is where the Commission has less of an idea so far. And as Elsa, uh, and, and as Elda mentioned, uh, the guidelines aim to introduce a representative sample of online users to see what sources of information they use and to what extent they are exposed to purveyors of this information. In addition, we would also want to use the insights coming from civil society, academia, fact checkers, and other stakeholders 
they would provide us with an assessment of regulation or an assessment of the situation on the, on the ground. Here's again a sample of the indicators we provide for the same pillar as before. Those who are familiar with our other project, the Media Pluralism Monitor, can also see that these indicators are partly influenced by the questionnaire of the NPM, as we hope to feed our experience from the NPM into Edmo and vice versa. So here you can see, we look at the legal environment, we ask for an assessment of the actual practice of political advertisement, but also about their consistency with the, with the rule of law. And then, of course, uh, these indicators need to have a time frame so that we can track progress from one reporting period to the other. Based on the current guidelines of the Commission, this period will be six months for large platforms and one year for smaller one uh, or smaller ones. And then uh, the KPIs will feed into the structural indicators. Without that, it would be impossible to establish the link uh, between the code and the overall developments or hopefully we can talk about improvements, not just developments um, related to this information. And of course, it is important to go a step further, conduct an analytic analysis of pluralism, collect further data on audiences and so on. And this is also reflected in the code itself where Pillar 5 is about uh, empowering the research community. Um, I'm not sure how much time we have. I think we uh, used most of the time that is available to us, so I would probably not go that much into trustworthiness. I will just quickly mention it because uh, this is partly what we write about in our chapter. Um, so uh, the code uh, asks for these indicators on, on, on tr of trustworthiness. But in order to understand what they are, uh, first we have to look at uh, what is what is meant by being trustworthy or what is meant by trustworthiness. Based on the key documents, we can say that it is a key characteristic of the source of publishers or uh, of, the, of the source of information or the publisher of a piece of information. It means that there is a low chance for users to be exposed to false or misleading content if they consume this source of information. And these trustworthy sources, which are often news media, have a procedure in place to make sufficient and timely corrections. There is an emphasis on transparency and ownership, authorship, and sourcing of information, meaning that um, we have to know who produces it and how the information came to existence. And finally, they have procedures in place to clearly label advertisement and paid content, as well as separating fact from opinion. Um, we look at four prominent projects, the Trust Project, the Credibility Coalition, the Journalism Trust Initiative, the NewsGuard browser extension, and yeah, that's four. Uh, some of their characteristics are that they all, they all work in cooperation with platforms. Some of them are funded by Google or Facebook, but there's also one which is partly or co-funded by the European Commission, that's the Journalism Trust Initiative. Um, they connect trustworthiness to content creators or content sources, and they focus predominantly on news media. Their insights should be used to inform the algorithms of online platforms and thereby provide extra prominence to those content sources that are most trustworthy. The guidelines of the Commission uh, for, the, for the Code 2.0 say that these should be optional features of the platforms. So the users themselves could decide whether they want to use this trustworthiness filter or not. And since there is more than one source of trustworthiness indicators, 
There's also a discussion about having a competitive environment of indicators where the users can choose not just whether or not they want to use these filters, but also pick which one they prefer. So far, it is not clear how platforms aim to make use of these indicators. So we looked at the indicators of these projects and some of the key indicators that they identified were the following past conduct of, pub of publishers, which is basically whether or not they have shared this information in the past or misinformation, the sourcing of articles, so whether there is a diversity and of a viewpoints, a transparency of sources, whether they interact with readers, whether the arguments they make are logically sound. Um, there is the issue of correction and labeling which on the one hand means that uh, there have to be timely corrections if they make mistakes, but there's also uh, there's also a need for labeling of advertisements. So if, if something is advertising, if something is advertising on the on, on their site, it has to be correctly labeled like that. And there is the transparency of owners, funders, and content creators. Uh, we found that the current indicators are suitable for ex-ante measures but they allow only for narrow application and might have unintended side effects. There were three key problems that we identified. They provided a competitive disadvantage, or no, a competitive advantage to established players. There was an issue with compliance as some of the indicators required auditing, which cannot be made mandatory. And there was an issue with the respect for privacy and the right to anonymity, which might conflict with some of these indicators that are listed here. And finally, and this is our last slide, uh, we made some proposals ourselves related to this issue. We recommended that the indicators apply to large established content creators. There should be no punishment for non-compliance or non-cooperation with indicator provided, but instead there should be a reward for upgrading or for compliance. So there should be a reward, which is upgrading. Uh, we asked that fact checkers monitor both compliant and non-compliant outlets, and if there are repeated violations, that has to lead to downgrading. And finally, small content producers or newly established outlets or even blogs uh, should be able to use the organic services, so the non-paid services of platforms, without constraints, as long as they are not found violating these rules. And that's what we have for today. And we're looking forward for to, to the questions and thank you for the opportunity and thank you for having us. That were Elda Blogi and Konrad Blayer-Simon on more obligations and accountability for online platforms. You've listened to Hate Speech and Platform Regulation, a workshop series by the ITM Münster.